0: in an episode of my favorite sitcom, the main character purchased a large television for himself. Now his logic is, and I don't know that we can dispute this, but his logic is is that the size of your TV should match your age. So he wanted to have one that would last him for quite a few years, so he spent a lot of money. Well, this purchase tapped out his bank account quite a bit, and so he has to start telling his closest friend, who who has a tendency to mooch off him quite a bit, that he can't lend him any money. But he also doesn't want to tell this friend that he doesn't have a large TV because he doesn't want this friend coming over unannounced all the time and staying all the time to enjoy this large TV. Well, as is customary with television comedies, this leads to confusion, and the friend starts to tell others in their small community that his friend is poor. Well, while he's talking to the male police officer in the town about this fact that their friend is poor, someone questions their gossiping ways. And she asks him, why don't you just ask him about it? Well, the two men roll their eyes, and and they're visibly just just put out by the question. And she says, what's wrong? And one of the men replies, because we're guys. Guys. We don't interact in a meaningful way. Well, I'm guessing some of you could say that to your spouses. You know that. And many times, guys kind of avoid the situations. Well, I think that even guys sometimes have someone that they can really talk to. If it's a necessity, of course. But they ha- we all have someone that we can really talk to, that we, that we know Well, in our passage this morning, we see an interaction between God and Abraham, and this is a back and forth, and it gives us an idea of just how close Abraham is with God, how well they know each other, and how significant Abraham's place is in the story of redemption, how big a part Abraham plays in God's story. So as we land in this passage, and as we finish up chapter 18 today, we're gonna have two main points that we're gonna use to go through this passage. Well, the first thing we're gonna see is that Abraham has a unique relationship to God. God shares what he is going to do with Abraham. God is about to go and survey the wickedness that is going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's no reason that God would share this information with Abraham. Why would he need to? But we see that he does, and the idea that's conveyed to us is that while while God is sovereign and he will do what he wishes, he tells Abraham. And the idea conveyed to us here is that Abraham is not only a king, as we've seen, that he's a king among men, but he is also a prophet, and God speaks with him. Abraham and God are friends. Secondly, we'll see that Abraham intercedes for the people of Sodom. Now, we don't see in the passage that God tells Abraham exactly what he is going to do in judgment of these cities, but Abraham clearly knows of the wickedness there and is concerned, and so he makes an attempt to talk God out of destroying these cities. Not only does God hear Abraham on the matter, but we also see something about God. We learn that he is gracious, that he is merciful, because he hears Abraham's requests And he answers. And so, we come to this part of the passage, and we have to remember where this is coming from. Last week, what did we see? We saw that God had an interaction with Abraham and Sarah. God showed up, and we see that Abraham is a gracious host there, didn't we? Both Abraham and Sarah meet with God. And something interesting happens. They laugh at the notion that Sarah will actually give birth to a son at the age of 90. But God informs them that he will, in fact, bless them with a son, and his name will be Isaac, and this laughter that they had in unbelief will be turned into joy. Their disbelieving laughter will now be laughter with their son, Isaac. God is going to turn their unbelief into joy because he is a faithful God. And so this encounter here today is a continuation of that encounter, this passage referring to the men leaving. We have to remember, when we see the word men there, these aren't ordinary men. We know from earlier in the story that this is God and two angels that have manifested themselves as men to interact with Abram. Well, now this story doesn't end like we would expect it to. I think if you and I were writing this up as a script, we'd make this a little bit more dramatic. God would show up, he'd have the meal with Abraham and Sarah, they would share with him that, he is go- that Isaac is going to be born, and to prove that it's God that's there, that it's angels, poof, we'd have him disappear. That's how I, I, think, that's how I think I'd write it. It'd be much more dramatic that way, much more exciting. But that's not what happens. God is going to leave. God is going somewhere. God is going to survey what is happening in Sodom. And this is an interesting transition. They're departing from the area just like anyone else would have, continuing a journey. But as I said, they're going to see what's going on at Sodom. God didn't just appear to have supper with Abraham and to tell him what was going to happen. And they're not just going to walk out of sight and never be seen again. They're headed to Sodom, and we get some interesting insight into this with the question that God asks. Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Should I keep this a secret? But the Lord mentions that Abraham is going to become a great nation, and so he should be aware of what is about to happen. Notice that it is said that Abraham has been chosen to be a great nation, that he will command his children to go in the way of the Lord. So what's this about? Why is God even considering this? Why why is this going on? It kind of seems strange thing to say. But we need to understand that what God is going to do is he's gonna make a great nation out of Abraham. And that nation is to be set apart. It's to be different. It's to be holy. They're to be righteous and they're to know the ways of God. And if they're going to do that, they need to understand that there is righteous judgment that comes from God. They need to understand that God is righteous and that he judges wickedness, and so Abraham, his descendants, and even we, are supposed to understand this by looking at this passage. Yes, God is gracious and merciful, but being holy, he must judge sin. In this incident, we are seeing that God judges and his judgment isn't random or haphazard. It is for a particular reason and it's justified. He's going to see if there's immorality there that has been shown to him. Well, there's something else that is important for us to see here. Abraham has been set up as a king who rules many people and protects them in the passages that we've seen before here in Genesis. But now we're seeing that he's a prophet. God reveals what he is going to do to him. Amos three seven says, Surely the Lord does nothing without first revealing Himself to His servants, the prophets. That's way later in our Old Testament, but we see it here. God is revealing what He is going to do. Up to this point in Scripture, we haven't really seen that prophetic element yet. But it is this interaction with, that Abraham has, the, has with God that shows us that God and Abraham have a prophetic relationship. He tells Abraham what he is going to do. They are intimate. They are friends. And so we see a level here of intimacy with God that's amazing. God is truly blessing Abraham. He's not only going to have descendants, and from that line will come the child of the promise, the Messiah that will crush the head of the serpent, he's also God's friend. They have an intimate relationship where he reveals not only his plans to bless him with Isaac, but he informs them that he's headed down to assess the region of Sodom. And we see that this is because there's great wickedness there. And notice how God describes it. The outcry against them is great and their sin is very grave. This is serious business. And we see some language that if we take a minute and reflect on where we've been in Genesis, the idea of judgment is going to be familiar. Think back to the flood. God reveals his plan to Noah and then what does he do? He rescues the righteous one. He rescues Noah from the judgment of the flood. And then remember back to the story of the Tower of Babel and we really see some familiar language because it says that God came down and saw what was going on before he judged the people by confusing their language. Notice this is another theme of judgment. God came down in the garden And he saw that Adam and Eve had had sinned. He saw the wickedness in Noah's age and judgment comes. He came down and saw at the Tower of Babel that the people were being disobedient and judgment comes. Notice the theme continuing through the book of Genesis. So this is another incident where God sees wickedness and he's going to do something about it. We should be used to this theme by now. We've seen this since the fall. The story repeats itself. Why? Why does the story have to be, keep being repeated? Because humanity has fallen into sin. Humanity is in rebellion against God. And so as we move on from this idea that we see of, of Abraham being a prophet and being intimate with God, we see this prophetic role, but we're also going to see that Abraham has another role as prophet. He is going to intercede for Sodom, in hopes that God will not bring his judgment. After telling Abraham that they're headed down to assess the situation, Abraham does something, well, it's really bold. We read that he still stood before the Lord. And this is interesting to contrast what Abraham did before, just a few verses earlier, right? When he was serving God, what did he do? He stood off to the side. He was a servant standing and waiting to be in service to God that's what was happening while God and the angels were eating but now what does he do he puts himself in the path of God now I imagine this as them taking off and Abraham standing in front of them and keeping them from heading east to Sodom essentially saying hey you can't just drop that bomb on me and leave you can't do that can't can't we talk about this God and there's something important that we need to notice here. Abraham knows what's going to happen. He knows that God is going to assess Sodom, and it's not going to end well. He inherently knows this, or he would have said, yeah, fine, go check him out. Go, yeah, that's fine, go check. No, he knows. He knows that something is going to happen. He knows that the men will arrive there, and they will find that the wickedness is great. And so knowing this, and knowing that he has family there, remember Lot is in that region. He speaks up. He wants to know if the righteous will be swept away with the wicked. How is that fair? So, so let's throw a number out there. Let's, let's, let's just try this, some, some bargaining, God. Let's say there's 50 who are righteous. You wouldn't wipe out that many, would you? Now as we read this, I think we know that we've all used this type of argumentation or more likely, we've had it used against us, right? Uh, I know this because everyone here was a child at some point, and you probably argued like this with your parents, right? You tried to get them to, you tried to whittle them down. This, uh, this type of arguing appeals to the good nature of someone. And then what do we do? We see just how far we can push it, right? You find out where you agree, and then you push the envelope. And that's what Abraham's doing here. And as we read this, we see what... Looks like a little bit of flattering language from Abraham, right? Far be it from you to do such a thing, God. I couldn't believe it. You aren't the type to just wipe out those 50 righteous because a bunch of folks are unrighteous. You are the holy judge of the earth, so you'll do what's right, God, and and that wouldn't be right, now would it? Now, I, I don't want to give the idea that Abraham is being disingenuous to God here, He is legitimately concerned for the people of Sodom. He's he's hoping that the judgment of God will not sweep away these people. He's hoping that there will be mercy instead of judgment. And as we read the story, God concedes Abraham's point. He'll, He'll spare the city if there are 50 righteous. Now, as I read this, and I'm guessing maybe you think the same thing, God is sovereign. He knows everything. He judges the hearts of men. He knows what's going on. He already knows who is righteous in Sodom. He knows who's unrighteous there, too. He could cut Abraham off and show him the numbers. Here's a chart, Abraham, and let me get this. And this is how many righteous there are, and there's how many unrighteous. Now let me go to my next slide. You know, he could easily do that. He could show all of this. But we see that the story continues, and Abraham continues to plead God for mercy. And we see the patience of God in this. But what does Abraham do first? He acknowledges that he is but dust and ashes. He understands that he's standing before God and he is mortal and God is immortal. God is truly the judge. And we're meant to see that Abraham understands that God is showing him great mercy by allowing him to speak. God does not have to do this. But he's letting Abraham speak on behalf of the ones who will be judged. And Abraham continues to barter with God, like a seasoned garage sale shopper, right? You start and you keep on moving yourself down. If you're willing to go down to 45, God, well, you can't just, can't just uh, get rid of it for five and then for five more and then for 10 more. Can't we go a little bit lower? Keeps on bartering the number down. And finally, he lands on a number. God continues to concede. Abraham is relentless until he gets down to 10. Now, we don't know why Abraham stopped at 10. If you can work God down from 50 to 10, you think maybe you'd try to keep going, right? You've you've made a lot of progress. Very good if you're considering you're bartering with the Almighty. Why didn't he keep going? We don't know. But the point of what we see here is that God is merciful He's willing to spare a significant sinful majority for the sake of even 10 who are righteous. And this is the point of this kind of out of the ordinary, interesting story. I don't know about you, but when I read it, the repetition sort of has me mentally skipping ahead to get to the point. That happens a lot when there's something repetitious like this. I'm thinking, you know, where does this repetition end? I've already read this, I'll just go to the bottom. But as I was preparing, I was sort of forced to not do that, right? I had to see what it was saying. But what what do we see here is that it's driving home a point. It's showing us that God is merciful, that he's slow to anger, and he hears the pleas of his people. He hears Abraham, and he concedes. We're meant to see that he desires to save the righteous. Even though judgment is just, even though he knows He's showing Abraham and he's showing us that he's willing to spare the righteous. And this is good news for us. Because when we truly evaluate our hearts against God's law, we know that we're not righteous. We're not one of the ten. We know that we have not loved God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. As much as we would like to believe that we are the righteous that would be spared In our hearts, we know that we have rebelled against God, and we are worthy of his just punishment. But we have good news to hear and believe. Just as Abraham interceded for these people, we have one who intercedes for us. And it gets even better. Jesus did not just plead that we would be spared because of a few others who were righteous, He offered himself as the righteous one, as the righteous sacrifice in our place. He bore the wrath of God so that even though we were not righteous, we would be spared. And the news keeps getting better because now we have the unbelievable gift of his perfect righteousness. Because he did this for us, we are now given in the great exchange. He took our unrighteousness and we receive his perfect righteousness as a gift. When we're in Christ, God looks upon us and sees us as perfectly righteous in Him, and we do not receive the wrath of His judgment that we deserve. We are saved from death and hell on account of the Lord Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us. And so as we partake, In the Lord's Supper this morning, this is an important reminder for us. As we take the bread and cup, we remember the mercy and grace of God shown to us in Christ. And that even though we are unworthy of this meal, He has made us worthy by His gracious work for us in His life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Now in addition to remembering this glorious mercy of God this morning, I believe it's important that we also come away from this passage with another very important application. Because this is an interesting passage, because I think often we find Scripture passages that are difficult to relate to. I I think last week is a good example. We came away with some application, but what was that passage about? It was about God meeting with Abraham and Sarah and telling them when the child of the promise would come. Cool story, great theological implications, but it can be really difficult for us to relate to very difficult. Now we just jump a few verses forward, and what do we find? Something very relatable. We can find circumstances that I think we can better relate to. In every age, we look at the world, and we see things that warrant the judgment of God. We do. And yet we are called as the people of God to pray for the world Just as Abraham did, he interceded. He went before God and begged for mercy. He prayed for them. So just as Abraham interceded for the people of Sodom, we should be praying for the world. We should be praying for the lost. We should be be praying that justice would be done. We should be praying for those who are in need, pleading to God that by his word and spirit, He would be merciful in bringing people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ because this passage shows us that judgment is coming. And we know the story. We know judgment's coming in the next chapter. But are we praying for the lost? Are we praying for those in need? Are we interceding with with God just as Abraham did, hoping that he would be merciful? It's been an interesting year to say the least. And there's so much going on in the world and we're called to intercede for it. It's really easy right now to be focused on what we're worried about or what we're doing, but we're called to intercede for the world. And Abraham here shows us a great example. Abraham is relentless. He is relentless. He is standing before Almighty God and over and over again he pleads with him. He boldly goes before God, even though he knows that he is but dust and ashes, and he makes request to our mighty and holy God, praying for his mercy. And so, may we be a people of God who prays for the world with a passion, and may our desire be for the lost to be saved and rescued from the wrath of God. Trust that God hears our prayers and that his word and spirit would go forth in mercy and grace. So may we be a praying people, interceding for the world as Abram interceded for Sodom. Amen.